0: Coming up on this week's show, our series of Coastal Magic featured author interviews continues with
1: Casey Byrne. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 212 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from WillKanaus.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a special sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Welcome back, everyone. We're so glad that you could join us uh here we are halloween week halloween week nanowrimo week there's a whole bunch of stuff happening this week mm-hmm.
0: but if you're celebrating halloween we hope you do so in a very safe fashion but that you also have a load of fun um, it's not exactly our holiday it's never been our holiday and i don't know why but other than the candy the
1: candy's good <laughs> <laughs> exactly um so we are back from gay romlet in albuquerque Uh, if we said hello to you or had a chance to converse about books while we were there. uh, Thank you for coming up and saying hi. We always enjoy meeting uh, listeners of the show. And if for some reason we missed you,
0: well, we hope we see you again next year in uh, St. Louis and we can talk there. It's always so hard to talk to everybody you want to at Gay Romlet. We talked about that a little bit last week. And uh, well, I think we were able to do more this year. Uh, I'm already excited about doing even more chatting next year, so October 2020 won't get here fast enough.
1: I know. Can't wait.
0: It's going to be good. We do have uh, an article coming up on Monday over on the Frolic website, a little more of our GRL insights along with a couple of photos. Uh, We're looking forward to perhaps introducing Gay Romlet to some folks who don't know about it, uh, who read the Frolic website, so maybe we'll get to meet even more new peeps in 2020. And speaking of frolic, there was big news this week as Big Gay Fiction Podcast is now part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Now, the Frolic Podcast Network is a community of everything romance and romance related. If you're into romance fiction of any flavor, the Frolic Podcast Network includes shows that feature book club style discussions, author interviews, comedy, critique, and fantastic conversations as well. The network includes some of the most innovative, interesting, and entertaining podcasts, including our friends, Sarah Wendell over at Smart Podcast Trashy Books, and Jess and Markey from top to bottom. What does this mean for you, the listener? Well, it's even more shows for you to enjoy and more opportunities for us to introduce you to great episodes and new podcasts that we think you'll love. You can find all the network shows to add to your podcast listening at frolic.media slash podcasts. And uh, I'm so honored that we got invited into this group, Uh, looking forward to working with this and seeing
1: how we can expand everybody's uh, podcast listening. Exactly. I don't know if you can tell by listening to me, I am getting over a cold. Uh, I did catch the concred while we were in Albuquerque. I did stay hydrated like I was supposed to, uh, but, oh gosh. He did everything right. I can attest to
0: that. And yet, I felt so bad as we were flying back from, between Albuquerque and LAX, he just, that two-hour flight, he just kind of wilted. It
1: was very sad to see. Yep. It kicked my butt. Uh, But I am on the mend. And one of the things that uh, helped get me through the week was the knowledge that we were going to once again be appearing on the Smart Podcast Trashy Books show. Yes, it's always fun to talk to Sarah Wendell. And We showed
0: up on episode 374, which dropped this past Friday. Uh, If you haven't checked that out yet, we'll certainly have it in the show notes for you. I was pleased that something you said got uh, turned into the title of the episode, talking about artisanal podcasting, which is kind of what we do as we stand here in my office each week. (laughs) Exactly. And we do, of course, want to give everyone uh, who might be starting up on NaNoWriMo this Friday... uh, uh, a hearty, good luck to you, and we hope you have all the success in getting to your 50,000 word count or whatever your word count may be. Uh, we will be talking about our experiences over on the Big Gay Author Podcast, which will include uh, daily uh, Facebook posts, Facebook live posts on the Big Gay Author Podcast Facebook page. So we we'll hope you'll join us there. You can get all the details on that over at biggayauthorpodcast.com.
2: Hi. Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully J is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully J, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us.
0: So as we close out the month and Halloween is coming up on Thursday, we are to the end of your seasonal Halloween paranormal reads. What have you got for us this week?
1: Well, I admit I'm in a bit of a conundrum. Um, I read a really amazing book. That's not the problem. The problem is is that I'm not quite sure how to talk about it uh, while at the same time getting you excited and wanting to read it without spoiling the heck out of it. Um this past week, I read The Fall by X. Aratari, and I returned to this author again. I reviewed The Vampire's Club at the beginning of the month, and when I read the description for this particular book, I had to pick it up right away. It was so unique and so interesting. I wanted to dive in, especially for the month of October. And... Like I said, the problem is is that it's so unique and so interesting. It's kind of a, a gay gothic horror romance that's part Lovecraft, part like hammer horror movie. So that ticks off a whole lot of boxes for me personally. But the story itself hinges on the discovery of nefarious goings on and sort of things that go bump in the night. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's not like a regular romance review where most people know I just, you know, spoil the hell out of them because we all know what a romance book is going to be about. But so much of this story is about that sort of unknown dread that's lurking around the corner that I don't feel I can do it tremendous justice. I'm uh, going to give it a shot. Give it your best (laughs) shot. I love knowing just
0: the number of things... The number of boxes that it ticked for you, because you
1: certainly don't find those in many of the romances that you tend to read. No. So The Fall by X. R. Oteri is about a guy named Carter, and he is a foreman at a coal mine. One day, very deep in the mine, they discover a door, an ornately carved door. Door that looks incredibly ancient, and they don't know what to make out of it. So he goes back topside to tell the mine's owner, a guy named Armand. And Armand lives on a big house on the hill uh, overlooking this small uh, West Virginia coal mining town. And he goes up there and he tells Armand all about it. And this guy is a teeny bit eccentric, and he is known for being an occult enthusiast, so he is definitely intrigued. So he decides to go down to the mine and see what is what. So Carter takes him down there, and uh, Armand is duly intrigued uh, and says that he wants to stay and study the door. Carter can go back uh, up to town. And when he does, he goes and visits Armand's son, ATN. Now, ATN is unfortunately a little bit sickly. He suffers from asthma and essentially can't go anywhere near the mine, and even when he leaves the house, it becomes a problem for him. So, essentially, he is housebound, and the only friend he has in town is Carter, who comes and visits him. And the two of them share an unspoken love for one another. Uh, And it's this night that they're actually alone at home that they finally confess their true feelings for one another. And it's really sweet and very romantic. It sounds so sweet. And I just know something really bad's about to happen with that door. (laughs) (laughs) Don't go near the door, people. I know, exactly. So Armand has closed the mine for the day. So Carter and everyone else in town has the day off and, he decides to uh, spend some time hanging out with Etienne a little bit more. And while his father is away, um, they end up spending the night together uh, for the very first time. And it's wonderful. It's everything they could have ever hoped for. And they make big plans that someday leave the small town. Carter manages to get his pants on just in time when Armand returns the next morning. He spent all night in the mine. And he insists that, you know, Carter, you can go home now. It's fine. I'll take care of Etienne. Who's took taken a, a sudden turn for the worse. He's looking a little bit sick. So Carter leaves. But as he's walking through town, there's a really strange sulfurous fog that has enveloped everyone and everything. And he traces this fog back to the mine. So he goes down and discovers that the door is now open. And when he goes through it, It is a porthole to somewhere otherworldly. And here's where things get very Lovecraftian. Um, (laughs) uh, Someone who looks like Armand, is it him or is it not? We don't know. Um, I I think it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Explains to Carter that they are at the Falls of Oblivion. This is where the unnamed one lives. And dark, mysterious things happen there. And Carter is given a choice. Uh, He makes the right one and escapes the mine. But worried about his lover, he goes back to the house on the hill where poor Etienne is having to deal with his own (laughs) paranormal strangeness uh, where his father has revealed himself not to be who Etienne thought he was so our two heroes have to fight for their lives and eventually escape the town. But at what cost to everyone else in the world? Um, oh, gosh. So there's so much good about this book. It's really it's sweetly romantic. It is creepy and interesting. And what I like most about this book is that in certain moments, there is a certain like palpable Sense of otherworldly dread, which I think is so difficult to convey in the written word. I mean, it's one thing if you're watching a scary movie and they've got like you know special effects or visuals or music and all that other stuff to convey Mm -hmm. a certain mood or feeling, but with you know just words on a page, I think it takes. A distinct talent in order to convey a specific emotion, especially one like fear or dread, or you know what's around that corner. Um, so I really, really enjoyed *The Fall* by X. Aratari. And as the author explains at the beginning of the book, this particular story is a standalone, but it actually serves as a jumping-off point for a whole other world of stories, uh, because nothing this author does is small. (laughs) If you go to their website, you'll see um, all the numerous series and books and serials. Um, uh, It's kind of an amazing body of work. So I highly recommend The Fall if you're in the mood for a creepy gothic read. I am so
0: intrigued by this, and yet I have to ask, could I actually handle reading this book
1: or would I totally freak out? (laughs) Well, considering that you are a total wimp and are terrified of TV commercials. It's true. (laughs) um, I do think this book is probably safe, even for a lightweight such as yourself. Okay, that's good to know. (laughs) Now, I'm going to move this into totally
0: non-terrifying territory and kind of get into the rom-com world of Lily Morton. Uh, Lily Morton's Mixed Messages series is one of those series that I'm rather embarrassed that I haven't read already because of the amount of praise it's received. And oh man, do I understand that praise. It was Joel Leslie who finally got me to dive into these because he's the voice of the audiobooks which were released earlier this year. These books and the narration are crazy amazing awesome. I started off with Rule Breaker. And here we meet Dylan, who is such a beleaguered assistant to Gabe, uh, while Dylan does everything he can to get the job done right, he endures insults, sarcasm, and an unending stream of criticism about everything from poorly made coffee to typos on inter-office memos. Dylan's daydreams are filled with creative ways that he could murder Gabe And unfortunately, Dylan also finds his boss attractive, but he never considers acting on it because not only is it terrible, terrible behavior in the workplace, but let's face it, Gabe doesn't exactly make himself come across as anyone you'd want to fall in love with. Now, Gabe certainly doesn't think of Dylan in in any romantic sense, but instead wonders why he hasn't tried to get himself a better assistant. Now, everything changes one day when Gabe gets sick. Dylan goes to Gabe's house to help his boss with basics like, you know, feeding him soup and making sure that he actually rests because Gabe is very type A workaholic and would much rather be up and around trying to get things done. And it's in these moments of taking care of him that Dylan catches another side of Gabe. There is someone in there who could be warm and charming, but then if that goes on too long, Gabe ends up and shuts himself down. It's Lily's rom-com take on this romance that makes this book so very good. This vibe starts right off as each chapter opens with a hilarious memo between Gabe and Dylan kind of outlining something that's not right. Now, anyone who has spent any time in office work will love these missives and will probably want Lily to ghostwrite some for them. What I really loved about Rule Breaker is how it's a rom-com that's also got a serious dramatic weight behind it. Yes, there's t- terrific banter between Gabe and Dylan, but then there's beautifully done shifting to from that banter to a more romantic, get-to-know-you kind of dialogue, and it's even more powerful are the true heart-to-hearts that happen as Gabe reveals more about why he is closed off. Now, Dylan is a major romantic, and he really wants to help Gabe out of his shell but it's far from easy because Gabe can turn prickly at a moment's notice, and to deal with their attraction that they both admit's there. They gotta keep those pesky emotions at bay, and they decide to keep things at arm's length with no strings attached. Dylan plays along with this even though it's not what he wants, and he knows it can only end in heartbreak for him. One of my favorite sequences in this book is while Dylan's at home with his parents for Christmas. The love in Dylan's family flows off the page, and when Gabe shows up, rather unexpectedly, he'd been invited, but of course he declined because to be around family at Christmas is more than he can handle. But when he gets there, he sees why Dylan is the way that he is, and he allows himself to kind of get into the family vibe. Gabe and Dylan really come alive here around Dylan's family. It warmed my heart so much, and the book moves from rom-com more into kind of a lushly romantic story. Unfortunately, Gabe does get overwhelmed and runs away in one of the most gut-wrenching moments I've ever read. And it gets bleaker before it gets better. Let me tell you, Lily is a master at designing the blacker than black moment. Uh, now, following on through that, though, is a tremendous ending that really give Dylan and Gabe their happily ever after that is so much deserved for these two. I loved it so, so much. Now, I went right from that book straight into book two, which is Dealmaker. And here, this book is about Jude, who's Dylan's friend and who's a model. We we saw him a little bit in the first book, but this is all about him. And as the book opens, Jude is forced to move out of his flat when a bathtub comes crashing through his ceiling, which, of course, is the last thing that you want, especially when that bathtub is full of water. Uh, He ends up at the home of famous actor Asa who is just starting to get back into acting after years out of the spotlight while he raised his son, Billy. Now, at first, Jude was just gonna stay at the house because Asa is a friend of Dylan and Gabe's and they set him up here. And that turns though as Asa loses his assistant and Jude agrees to take a job so that uh, Asa still has an assistant and that will let him stay at the house through summer, which is enough time for his place to be fixed up. Now, Asa isn't thrilled to have hired a model because Jude reminds him way too much of a former love who was, in fact, a model. And uh, it's even more complicated when Jude plays into the stereotype is expecting and plays dumb. Uh, it's hilarious the way that Jude answers a batch of Asa's fan mail, samples of which show up at the beginning of each chapter in the same way that the memos did in Book 1. What makes this deception even better is that other members of the household staff are in on it too. And eventually so is Asa, who just kind of lets it play out a little bit. But Jude can't play dumb for long. And his true self, who is actually pretty smart, comes out. And that makes sparks fly between him and Asa. The parts of this story that made me ridiculously happy involved uh, Billy. The way that Jude bonds with the boy and the time that Asa, Jude, and Billy spend together as sort of a family unit really make this book soar. Uh, Billy is one of my favorite kids ever to appear in a romance, and Joel does this young man so perfectly. Uh, it's really the cherry on top of an excellent narration job. The rom-com vibe continues in this book, and that means some snappy dialogue for everyone. The happenings that fused Jude and Asa together were amazing, and it's, I'm not going to go into those, you know, to avoid some spoiler material there. But it was so perfect, and it really made me swoon. Uh, but of course, Lily once again brings it all crashing down, and kind of made my heart clench uh, as as we were setting up for the grand gesture, which of course set everything right. Uh, I'm head over heels for Lily's writing and cannot recommend these enough. The mixed messages books are really have to should be read by anybody who hasn't picked them up yet, and hopefully there's a few people out there besides me who have you know still need to pick these up and and have them for the first time. And I was super glad to hear from Joel that risk taker which is book three of the series, is headed for audio in December. I cannot wait for this. And you should really try to pick them up, too, at some point, because they're so, so fun. Mm, Yeah, those sound really good, especially that second one. I think you would enjoy it a lot because of the the actor, because Ace is kind of like... uh, uh, old time movie star who's kind of moving a little bit into into some newer roles because of the off time that he's had. There was some really nice Hollywood flavor there, even though it's very much rooted in uh, London. Cool. Sounds like fun. And from Lily Morton series, we're going to head over to another series that I am seriously in love with. I've been a fan of Reese Ford's 415 Inc. series since the beginning. This tale of found family, brothers who formed a bond coming up through the foster care system has been epically good. Hellion is the book I've been waiting for. Evo's been an intriguing character from what we've seen leading up to his book. He deeply cares for his brothers, he won't take shit from anyone, and he has an amazing style, which often includes shoes or boots with an impressive heel. To say he's an enigma might be an understatement, and digging into his story was far better than I could have imagined. As the story opens, we get a flashback at a teenaged Evo held by the police. It seems Evo beat someone who was trying to take advantage of him. And as he hesitantly explains everything to a cop, hoping that he can just go home because he'd rather not have to explain everything to his older brother Bear exactly what happened, uh, Evo found that the cop was attractive, and it turns out the cop was actually equally intrigued by Evo's demeanor and dress. Now we jump to the present. And the cop, Rowan, uh, turns up at the brother's house to discuss a matter from the previous book uh, that I won't get into because that's spoiler material from another review. Um, Evo remembers everything about this guy, and Roan remembers too, and he can't help but notice the man that Evo's become. From that point, these guys can't stop thinking about each other, and even more, can't stop running into each other either as if the universe were actually dragging them together. This book has become my favorite in the 415 Inc. series so far and it's because it really plays with expectations. I thought this book was going to be the most angst-filled of the trio so far. The brothers have had a lot going on and Gus and Mace's stories from books 1 and 2 had some seriously dark moments. To me, it was going to be Evo who was probably the darkest one of all. And yet he turned out to really have this steely outer shell, which is mostly what we've seen in the other books. But there is a very inner core teddy bear going on in there. Reese's way of revealing Evo made for an incredible read. Evo's had a hell of a life and he's not going to apologize to anyone for making them feel uncomfortable around him, but he's also an amazing, caring individual. Rowan was an incredibly wonderful, complex character as well. He's a longtime cop in San Francisco, and he's seen everything the city has to offer, good and bad. He wanted to protect Evo that night they first met, and he wants to protect the man he's become, too. What takes him a minute to understand, though, is that Evo doesn't need protection. He's also not sure what to make of Evo's self-expression, which includes the heels, bending gender norms of dress, and how Evo can really look so, so masculine and yet having these layers of femininity as well. For Rowan, he's played his life, trying not to draw attention to the fact that he's gay. And it's difficult for him to wrap his mind around Evo living such an out and proud life and resolving that with the life that he's known for himself. Uh, There are several key moments where Rowan really has to confront his deeply held beliefs. Sometimes it's a fiery and demanding matter uh, that he really kind of you know goes off on Evo, and then there's others of some very calm discussion. Uh, it was great to hear Evo's story about why he dresses the way he does, and in particular, why the heels are so important. My favorite scenes involve Evo and Roan uh, going to a tattoo event, uh, and it's something that Evo has to attend for the shop, and the conversations leading up to them going to the event and the way things play out at the event really formed the foundation of their future. And I loved it I, so much. I just I can't really put into good words. You had a hard time describing your story. Mm. I'm having a hard time explaining why this book was so, so good without ruining the parts that, yes, it's a romance, and yes, we tend to spoil those more, but the the pieces and parts that made this work really show Reese for the the amazing writer that she is. Um, now the brothers, of course, play a huge role in this book because they do put Rowan through their paces, uh, just like a parent would to make sure that he is okay for their youngest brother. They are fiercely protective of Evo and they won't hesitate to take on a cop to keep one of their own safe. (laughs) They are all awesome. And I love each of them. And I adore how Reese made a quiet, subtle, yet super powerful story here after a couple of very emotional books that were much more fiery and explosive uh, in a lot of ways. The message about being true to yourself while opening your heart was laid out in such a beautiful way. Evo and Roan have a ways to go on their journey for sure. And I imagine they're gonna have a lot more discussions happening about them as they continue to learn more about each other and kind of where some of their boundaries are. But I have no doubt that their bond will always be super strong for a lasting happily ever after. So of course, I highly recommend *Hellion* and the other books in the 415 Inc. series. And I really cannot wait for the next one to show up because I know it's gonna be another great story about these brothers.
1: If you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else we've talked about in this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 212 at biggayfictionpodcast.com. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post—news about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com/slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast and see what we get up to next.
0: So this week I had the opportunity to speak with Casey Byrne. Now Casey is part of our Coastal Magic featured author interview series. And it was great to sit down to talk to Casey. We have some information about uh, if Casey is a new-to-you author, some books you can read ahead of Coastal Magic, and we also find out what keeps her coming back to this con, because she's only missed one of these over the series of these cons, so she really likes hanging out at the beach in February. So let's talk to Casey. Casey, welcome to the podcast. It is so awesome to have you here. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here. Now, for those who may not know you, introduce yourself and and what you
3: write. Uh, Well, I'm Casey Byrne, and I write gay romance of several different flavors, contemporary, paranormal, and sci-fi.
0: That's a lot of flavors.
3: (laughs) What what drives you
0: towards one versus the other? Is it the muse at the time, or?
3: Partly the muse at the time, um, and partly, you know, contemporary sells better. You know, you don't want to be all about the money, but, but it does sell better. So, um, you know, you can get your, your name out there a little bit better and um, create a following. And then you can sort of have your, you know, your art house <laughs> books and <the> paranormal sci-fi. <laughs> I like that
0: branding strategy, calling everything that's not contemporary art house.
3: <laughs> you know, like the big movie stars do.
0: <laughs> For sure. For sure. Now, do you have a particular place where you like to write?
3: Not anymore. No, I mean, because when we moved to California, like our our space got severely constricted. (laughs) So um, I did I no longer have a dedicated office and a a dedicated couch for my own writing purposes. Um, (laughs) So I just, you know, make do uh, either and I have a, we have an office, but it's shared with my husband, so it's kind of sucks.
0: <laughs> we have separate offices too, and it makes all the difference. It does. <laughs> From a genre point of view, is there one that you like? I mean, are you kind of more drawn to paranormal or sci-fi? While the contemporary kind of does its thing
3: to. Well, I, I, I like all of them too. I mean, it's not that you know I, I don't I wouldn't write them if I didn't <laughs> like them, but sci-fi is kind of where my heart is, I guess. Hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, like Star Wars is the first movie I remember seeing in the theater and Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan was the second movie I remember seeing in the theater. So I was kind of indoctrinated early. And you started with some really good
0: films <laughs> there because both of those are yeah. just classics of their of their genre. Although I
3: still have a phobia of
0: bugs in my ear from, from Star Trek. <laughs> Absolutely, because that, that's like one of the creepiest scenes ever. What was your gateway to gay romance as a reader, and then what moved you into writing it?
3: Well, that's kind of, that's kind of a funny question, actually. Um, I didn't really know it existed as a genre when I started writing it. The first book I remember reading with a sort of a gay romance plot line was um, Magic's Pond by Mercedes Lackey. <laughs> Loved it to pieces. I, and I read it when it first came out. So it was like 16, 17 years old thereabouts. Loved it, but it didn't really click that there was a genre. And I didn't probably there was maybe it wasn't at the time when that came out. And I've been writing for a really long time, so uh, not been published obviously, <laughs> but I've been writing for a very long time. And I started incorporating gay romance sort of in as a subplots. And uh, eventually I got to the point where I was actually uh, frustrated with myself because I was getting embarrassed writing sex scenes. (laughs) I thought that was dumb because I don't really feel like I'm necessarily repressed, but I didn't like this sort of sensation that I was embarrassed. So I'm like, I'm going to write books full of sex, erotic romance full of sex. And I started writing I worked on a plot and I realized the conflict would be stronger if they were two guys. And I'm like, yeah, I'll try it. Sure. And so I wrote that. And then I started really actively looking and I mean, I, I'd, I'd read some menages and things like that, but I hadn't really had any awareness of it as a genre at the time.
0: And do you have any particular favorites in the genre? Author yeah. inspirations, if you will.
3: Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, Mary am and Amy Lane. I love to pieces one of the earliest ones I did end up reading, which is when I was looking for a agent slash publisher when I first had my under the bed book uh, that will never see the light of day, but had a gay romance plot in it, um, was M J Pearson's The Price of Temptation, which was a uh, Regency a Regency mm-hmm. gay romance, and I thought that was kind of cool. So that that was very influential for me. Um, and then um, Josh Lanyon, I, I like I like the mysteries. So Josh Lanyon was an early uh, mystery writer that I enjoyed. I'm drawing. I'm drawing a total blank here now. But it, she was very the one who did Heaven Sent, and I totally am blanking. Um, Dead Michaels, that was also very influential for me. That Heaven Sent series. And you mentioned you, you've written for a
0: long time. And not yes. published. As I think most of us have done that whole years of not publishing. What got you into wanting to write in general? Well,
3: when I was ten years old, my dad bought me a copy of David Eddings The Pond of Prophecy. And after reading that book, I knew that was what I wanted to do was become an author. Took took me a while to get <laughs> to get there. <laughs> but that was that was the minute I, I knew. So
0: that's so cool when there's like the gateway book that's, that makes mm-hmm. you say, I want to be the author. Yeah. What are some of your favorite tropes over time that you like to explore in your writing?
3: I have a hard time figuring out where themes and tropes begin, um, but I tend to have either fish out of water or um, betrayal themes slash tropes in my books. One or One or both will be in my books. Um, I don't, I don't tend to do like I've explored other ones, uh, gay for you. I've done, and I've done, uh, enemies to lovers and a secret baby with the dog (laughs) instead of a baby. (laughs) But, uh, I don't, I don't tend to stick to any one, one trope besides the fish out of water and betrayal. Mm
0: -hmm. And those are classics. Of course, it's hard to go wrong with a fish out of water (laughs) or betrayal for that matter. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier really liking mystery and, and, and then reading that historical that kind of got you into the idea of, of, of reading more gay romance. Have you thought about exploring those as a writer and doing mysteries or doing a historical?
3: Um, historical? I don't know if I would actually do a historical. My first book that I completed uh, was a 500-page Regency romance with... That broke a lot of rules. Uh, and I <laughs> a lot of rules I probably shouldn't have broken. I, the experience was it was good, but I don't think I would go back to it. but mystery, yeah, I've dabbled, I've dabbled in sort of I've skirted the cozy mystery and uh, I've done the same with romantic suspense. you know, I haven't committed really to, to them, but I enjoy I enjoy them. I would like to do that a little bit um, more in depth. but really what I want to do is epic fantasy. <laughs>
0: epic fantasy see that epic fantasy and sci-fi scares me with all the world building and potential if not research at least really documenting
3: what the world is there is a lot of that but there's also a lot of flexibility in that you're making stuff up you know i mean there's you have to have a basis of reality into them, but you're still making stuff up you know i mean like when i and i don't when i do world building i don't uh, have a very heavy hand with it, I don't believe. Um, my sci-fi series, The Galactic Alliance, that's basically humans have expanded throughout the universe and ended up uh, butting up against a alien empire, which eventually caused problems and what have you. But um, my aliens, I, I base that on... Uh, I have an anthropology degree, so I base my aliens on what if a different type of creature went through the evolutionary steps that humans did in terms of becoming sentient and upright and what have you. Even though there was sort of, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of research for it though, I just kind of extrapolated. I didn't do a lot of research and I don't really do, I think, have a hand with it in the books, but I just kind of have this idea in my head that that's what needs to be there and, and then go. I like the readers to make it, make it real for themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: to that end are you kind of a plotter or a pantser as you're doing some of these things that involve so much world building
3: Panzer, absolute panzer. uh yeah i uh one of my books uh north on drummond it's my romantic slash paranormal slash cozy mystery. <laughs> um Anyway, uh, I it's it, there's a huge whodunit aspect to it, and it's 99,000 words. And I didn't know until I was 70,000 words into it who actually done it. So <laughs> I just wrote. <laughs>
0: That's amazing. Because to me, especially like romantic suspense slash mystery, there's so much planting the seeds of whodunit. Did you just did you go back in revisions and then?
3: Well, seed, I revisioned or? a I revisioned a little bit, but mostly what I did was like I had sort of five people who could have done it, and then I just kind of worked with that, and then it near the end it sort of became obvious who probably well to me anyway who should have done it. I don't. I haven't seen a lot of. I try not to read reviews, but the ones that I did read, I didn't see anybody going, aha, I guessed on page three who it was. So, I mean, I'm hoping it wasn't obvious to everyone else.
0: That's very cool though, because in some ways, I guess it could actually avert people knowing potentially too early. Cause if you didn't know, as you were writing that, you don't overseed at that point. Cause that's one yeah. of the things too, I think is such a balance of like seeding enough. So people don't go really? but not seeding too much that they get it too early.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's, I worried about that because, you know, when you know what's going on, how heavy handed are your clues? Like, are they, you know, hitting the people over the head with a hammer or is it, you know, just a feather dusting of clues? Like it's, it's sometimes hard to tell what, where you're landing when you're writing it. Um, but yeah, so I I thought that was a, that was a since I am a pantser at heart, it seemed the way to do it. I'm like, these are the five. These are the five. It's
0: almost suspects. like you're playing Clue at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Getting to who it is. Yeah. That's cool. I may have to approach a mystery like that sometime and see if I can actually turn that part of my brain off and just try to go forward and... <laughs> Played a little bit that way. I'm intrigued by that.
3: Are you a plotter then?
0: The more I write, the more of a plotter I become. Mm. And now I like to have my outline that may go a little sideways sometimes, and then I fix the outline, but I like to start with it.
3: I have tried a lot of plotting uh, tricks and trades and things like that. And usually I end up writing just a few things. And then I have, I, I've literally had outlines that say, and then something happens. I'm like, that is not very useful. <laughs> <laughs> <It's an outline. laughs>
0: That's when you just put your, 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 your pants or hat back on and go for it again. <laughs> Fill in the blank here. <laughs> <laughs> now, coming up in February, you're headed to the beach. You're making a return trip to coastal magic. And we were talking before we hit record that you've actually been to everyone except the one where you moved from Florida to California. Yep. What keeps you coming
3: back? One of the things that I really like is that, um, well, I found, I discovered actually Coastal Magic that I liked in panels. I did not really realize that until Coastal Magic. Um, I like having that interplay with other authors on answering the same questions or, or having a discussion about things. And at Coastal Magic, Jennifer doesn't um segregate us (laughs) you know there's not the LGBT panels I mean there are the occasional LGBT panels but it's not the only place where I can be on a panel I've been on a panel with New York Times bestsellers I've been on a panel I was the they did a um sweet to spicy sort of in terms of how 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 steamy is your writing and of course it was supposed to be an array of of spiciness steaminess sexiness I don't know whatever but anyway and so like I was on this panel with an inspirational author and I was the spicy one but whatever (laughs) but um but it was it was a you know it's nice to have this sort of mix-up of of people on panels that you don't normally see
0: how would you describe it for readers who might be headed there
3: it's Really easy to get FaceTime with with authors, um, and there's some big names. I'm not certainly not one of them, um, but there's some big names that come come to Coastal Magic, and you can get easily get FaceTime with them. You can talk to them and get to know them a little bit, even if it's just through a panel or or what have you. But I mean, it's a very it's an intimate sort of conference.
0: For someone who's coming to Coastal and maybe discovering you for the first time. What would you recommend as like the Gateway book or series for Casey Byrne?
1: Oh,
3: well, oh, I have props. do you want props?
0: Sure, props are good.
3: <laughs> I don't know if it, I don't know how well it'll cop out. This is um, probably my most popular, well, it is definitely my most popular book, and it's i I believe it has brought in people to the genre before. Um, but um, it's contemporary. It's gay for you. Um it's about a cop who comes out surprise with the title um, <laughs> and then north on North on Drummond is the the paranormal cozy mystery slash romantic suspense if you know that's more the way your tastes run too it's just a it's a light sprinkly of paranormal in it, but it's a it's a fun book in my opinion so.
0: I'm curious, what's the paranormal aspect to it? Because I love romantic suspense these days and I'm thinking I need to pick this up with, with its paranormal <laughs> undertone.
3: Well, so what this is, it's a, it's a small town, a fictional town in Florida called Sandy Bottom Bay, which has been voted the second most haunted town in Florida. <laughs> and a big big city cop sort of comes home to live and meets up with a tarot reader slash con artist, well, his, fam- his whole family's a con artists. Then the so-called psychic ends up getting hit on the head and becomes actually a psychic.
0: Nice turn That's of events a- for the psychic to get bonked on the head and actually get the power.
3: Yeah. So he has to try and convince the cop and everyone else that uh, his visions are real. And so it's light, it's light paranormal. I mean, psychics are, you know, very light paranormal in my opinion. Yeah.
0: Yep, I'm definitely intrigued.
3: <laughs>
0: so, what's coming up for you, like a, new books? What's in your What's in your work in progress pile? Tell us Tell us some things we've got to look forward to.
3: I'm trying desperately to get a Christmas for this Christmas. Uh, only time will tell <laughs> whether it actually happens. Um, I have about five or six other manuscripts started, not finished, which is not my usual mode of working. But um, the two that I'm looking at right now are a sequel to North on Drummond, where his friend ends up uh, getting possessed. So (laughs) we'll see how that goes. And then also I've got a uh, a contemporary uh, where law enforcement are trying to teach celebrities how to solve a crime in a reality show. And that's... Um, oh, that sounds cool. Those are the two that I'm sort of focusing on besides the Christmas story right now.
0: And of course you did put a Christmas story out last year. Tell people what that's about because as this comes out towards the, in October, towards the end of October, we get into the season for the Christmas stories.
3: That's true. It's called A Cowboy's Christmas Luck. And it's basically about a cowboy who's down on his luck and is trapped in Vegas alone uh, for Christmas. And a uh, magic coin pops into existence and uh, changes his luck It makes his Christmas, you know, better. <laughs> it would have been far be- no, it, it ba- basically changes his life around. And then uh, um, this one I'm working on is sort of in the same series that the coin is what I'm using to tie several stories together. So, um, the, the coin will be showing up in the, next, will be featured in the next story. Cowboys Christmas Luck, I'm going to also try and have out an audio uh, in November. My narrator is working on it now. So,
0: Who do we have to look forward to in, in doing the narration?
3: Uh, Darcy Stark. He's the one who's done a bunch of my uh, books for, for Dream Spinner. And I, I, really, I really enjoy his narration. He's also done for me on audio.
0: Very cool. And the coin that you mentioned, uh, Mm -hmm. is it just, is it tying your Christmas stories together or does it weave in other places in your, in your writing?
3: No, it's, 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 it's actually like a, a Christmas coin. Like it looks, it looks like just like a fake sort of cheap metal coin that is a decoration almost. And they find this coin and, and that's what changes their, their luck. That's the, the coin is the magic. <laughs> the very teeny, teeniest sprinkle of paranormal. <laughs> I like that. And Christmas is the right
0: time to have that kind of paranormal, after all. Mm-hmm. So very cool. How can readers keep up with you online to find out what's coming and and all the good stuff that's going on?
3: Oh well, uh, I'm terrible at social media. Um, say that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I. I have Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, but. I'm sporadic about using them. <laughs> if you go to my website, caseyburn.com, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter, which I only send out when there's new releases. So it hasn't gone out as much as I would like this year, but that's what I use for my primary announcement venue. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I'm and and also on on uh, my website you can find my link. to facebook and twitter and maybe instagram it's been a while since i've updated my website i'm not sure that link's there (laughs)
0: okay awesome we will link to everything in the show notes page so that folks can find the books that we've talked about and find your website and your newsletter link and uh, casey we look forward to seeing you at uh, coastal magic come february thanks so much for hanging out with us
3: thank you so much for having me
1: This week's interview transcript is brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the author interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com. Thank you again to Casey for taking a few moments out of her day to come and talk to us about her writing and her experiences with coastal magic. Um, I am so happy to hear the news that she's working on a second story uh, with that lucky coin, mm-hmm. um, I read Cowboys Christmas Luck last year and oh, God, I loved it so hard. <laughs> Hopefully she'll get that done this year if she's planning to, because I would love to have
0: you read another one of those stories. Yes. Keeping my fingers crossed. Now, Coastal Magic is a beachside reader weekend that celebrates the magic of stories and storytellers. It's a super casual convention and book signing in Daytona Beach, Florida, and their goal is to bring authors and readers together for a memorable weekend by the beach. With panels designed to start interesting discussions and meet and greets with fun themes, there's something for just about every reader. While there is a schedule, there is also plenty of time for authors and their fans to just hang out together. Saturday's book signing and sale is open to the convention attendees and also open free to the public. The featured author lineup showcases not only best-selling favorites, but debut and new-to-you authors that are sure to catch your attention. We hope you join us for all the fun February 20th through 23rd 2020, and you can get all the information
1: at coastalmagicconvention.com. Okay, guys, I think that'll do it for this week's show. Just a quick reminder, you can help support the Big Gay Fiction podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. The additional support of our super fans helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. Joining is super easy, and you'll get special monthly bonus episodes, early access to author interviews, and the Patreon-exclusive show, Big Gay Fiction After Dark. Yes, that uh, first episode of After Dark just dropped this past week for our Patreon supporters. So that is there for you to check out if you'd like to. For a complete list of all of the perks that come with being a Patreon community member, simply go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up in episode 213, it's Big Gay Fiction Podcast's birthday. Woohoo! We'll be turning four years old, and Max Walker will be joining us to talk about his latest Loosen Up, as well as his Stonewall Investigation series. I loved so much talking to Max. I've wanted him on the show for so long, and I'm so, so glad it finally happened.
0: And just a reminder, as we wrap up, Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast
1: Network. You can find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode, go to biggayfictionpodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday at all major podcast distributors. You can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.